Hi, everybody. I'm, my name is Jeffrey Smith. Welcome to uh, Saltwater Media. Uh, we are trying something new tonight and doing a live podcast for the So What's Your Story podcast that Saltwater Media uh, d- uh, publishes on their website every week, which you can get on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio, I believe. And uh, tonight we're doing something special. We have uh, Tony Russo, who is normally uh, the co-host, is our guest tonight, uh, and Stephanie Fowler is uh, the other host. Yeah. Hi, Stephanie. And so uh, if you all will take your seats, uh, then we're going to get started. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And I'm Jeffrey Smith. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story, a podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the stories, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Tonight on the podcast, we have Tony Russo, local author and podcaster. Tony has worked as a print and digital journalist for the better part of the 21st century, writing for and editing regional weeklies and dailies before joining the team that produces OceanCity.com, among other destination websites. In addition to having documented everything from zoning changes to art movements on Delmarva culture, Tony has written a couple of books on the Delmarva beer culture. His first book, Eastern Shore Beer, was published in late 2014 by the History Press, His second book, Delaware Beer, was also published by the History Press, and that book was released earlier this summer. So welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Is this weird? Not at all. (laughs) He's like, I'm I'm so used to this. This is only my twelfth podcast. Well this is yeah, this is my twelfth podcast this weekend. Also I'm I'm you know, you know, I'm interviewed regularly. People people want to hear about me. People want to hear about my life. Shocking. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Actually, they get to know about it whether whether they want to hear about it or not. So one of the things I want to kind of hit, because you and I have had a couple conversations about beer, and it's like every time you talk about beer, I feel like I'm learning something new. I mean, for, for most people, it's just pop a cap, you know, pop the top and just throw it back. But, I mean, there's this whole process, and there's this whole, like there's history and there's science and there's culture and there's different cultures that go into it. So what is it about this particular topic that has inspired you to write two books? Well, I, I backed into it, frankly, I was, uh, I was, I was writing a different book about beer. Um, I was working here in Berlin at, uh, the Bayside Gazette, which is still, which is still a lovely paper published here. And, uh, Burley Oak was opening, and so I started to write this massive book about Burley Oak. And the the short version is that book didn't get published; these books did. Uh, but the longer version is that what I discovered is that beer is like anything else. I was always, I'm always, still am a, a real fan, fan of how we use language. And as it turns out, learning about brewing and learning about tasting beer is something that has to do with talking to other people about it. So you have a sip. I have a sip. You know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. And so you say, okay, when I taste this beer, I taste the following things. Pow, 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 pow. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally do. That's how I taste. I taste those things too. And that's how I learned. That's how people learn to taste beer. That's how people learn to speak language. And once I made that connection, which was really like a million years ago, but once I made the connection about, oh, wow, learning to drink beer, learning about anything is just about, is just like learning about talking. It became really, really easy to kind of, you know, get into the culture. And then, of course, because I like to coin phrases, the first thing I did was I learned it and then I, you know, figured out how I could make up different beer words because it was fun and to kind of draw other people into the into the culture and into the discussion. It sounds a little bit like uh, like wine like wine tasting is a, is a, has a very similar subculture 
to it, tasting wine and tasting the various things in wine. Right. You, you need to know. You, you, have, you have a flavor experience. You have a color experience. I have a color experience. I'm a baby. You say blue. I'm like, okay, when he says blue, he means this. Um, and so with wine, it's like, I mean, I know it's, you're not supposed to say oaky, but that's the one we all know, right? So uh, you say that, that, that thick flavor that tastes kind of like when you fall down and you and you like and you chew on the uh, on the on the on the table leg that's called oaky and i'm like okay cool when i when i have that flavor i'll say oaky when you chew i don't chew on table legs (laughs) just just for reference i I, I, sometimes i get tense (laughs) so what is um so i remember hearing you give an interview on WSDO, WSDO, I guess is the, the NPR station right. at Salisbury University. Right. And one of the things that I, I found was really interesting where you were talking about the, the notion of these beer gardens. Mm-hmm. And so for your new, for the new book, the most recent book, you talked about the, well, in the first book, it was more like the process of beer making. But in the new one, you're talking more about beer culture in these right. beer gardens and how that used to be like, the thing, and then and now that is kind of what's reemerging. Right. Well, there was a period before, I guess the at the beginning of, of the industrial age, where people had to get together to talk to one another, and beer always has been a part of that since you know since forever. Beer has been a part of it. But the idea of uh, the idea of the beer garden that inter- the reason the idea of the beer garden interested me this time was because it was. Different people coming together, and the beer was incidental. The coming together was what was important, and the beer was not. I mean, they wanted to have beer, and they, they, but it, was, it wasn't like, hey, let's get together and have some beer. It was like, hey, let's get together. You bring the wives and kids. I'll bring some pretzels. You bring some sausages. You bring some cheese, and we'll sit and we'll hang out in the park for the day. That's awesome. Oh, and there's beer, right? And... When prohibition started to happen, that when when people started getting fetishizing liquor, that's that's when the whole beer culture changed, and it took us uh, like nearly a century to kind of to kind of repair the damage, <laughs> to kind of re- <laughs> to kind of repair the damage about how about the difference between getting together and having beer and getting beer so we can be together. To get back to to a culture of a community making beer as opposed to some faraway distant uh, in, industrial organization, yeah, yeah, absolutely, selling you something that they're calling beer, right? And and also and also, if you think of the beer the beer uh, commercials when we were kids, right? Oh, yeah. They were guys and they were bowling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There there weren't women, there weren't kids. There weren't dogs. It was a guy thing. Guys get together and guys drink beer to get away from the the wife and the dogs, right? And the kids. The, the, to, to get away from the, the lady, regular the life, right? It was right. A, yeah. a beer was this special thing, this special kind of escapist thing, which it's not. It never has been. It was only that way for like thirty years or forty years, but it was thirty or forty years when everyone was doing it, and they're all kind of still alive. Yeah. So. We're still kind of recovering from that, but now, like, we don't. I don't crave bowling night away from the wife and kids, right? I my kids are old enough. I crave nights when we can all, when we can all go out to a brewery together, right? Or when we can sit around the backyard. Like the togetherness aspect. There was there was this mindset that alcohol was separate and masculine, and 
it was much like, I don't know if you know, like computers, the reason that guys were better at computers for 30 years than girls were is because they had to decide what kind of commercial to make for, for, uh, for PCs, for the early PCs. So they're like, well, this is a toy. Is this a boy toy or a girl toy? And they just literally arbitrarily decided, well, this, we feel like this is a boy toy. toy. Mm -hmm. And so this, and so boys, computers were marketed to boys for 25 years. And then women fell 25 years behind in becoming programmers just because they made, I don't know. The consumer culture. Right, right. Because an advertising executive made a decision that this is how we're going to market it. Simply as that. And beer is the same way. Like, we have to get guys, we have to get people together around our beer. And I think that what, I mean, in the beer garden culture that that I talk about in the early part of the book, it's just people are getting together like you'd go to the park, right? But I think what's emerging now is this idea that people get together and... As, as a community, the community is, a, is the first part and the beer is the second, which is why I think you see a lot of these communities that have breweries. People like to go and hang out. And I mean, I, Burley, I, I, or Third Wave, Third Wave's walking distance from my house, so I'm there a lot. <laughs> and uh, when you go there and it's people are just hanging out. There is beer, but they go there as much to hang out as they do to have beer. Like, it's, it's returning to this idea where the brewery is a place where you go to meet your community and see your friends. Certainly, and here in Berlin, I get the impression that that's, that's, that's the kind of community that Burley Oak is trying to right, build, it's, a it, community, which mm-hmm. harkens back, uh, to change the subject ever so slightly, back to the history aspect of it, which is what I liked about at least your first book, which I've read, uh, was, was drawing on the history of beer on the on the peninsula, not just what's going on now, but what has happened in the past, and right. how we got to the point where we are. And it was similar, right? It was it was there were no um, there were no courthouses, and so the tavern and the courthouse were the same place, except for every, every place except on the eastern shore, where for longish, boringish reasons, they didn't need. Oh, I'll tell you, because rich people had houses on the water where they could get stuff right from the Chesapeake Bay, so they didn't need to have a courthouse mm-hmm. because they were kind of like, oh, we'll go over to probably Mr. Tillman's house, right? And he'll and he'll have court at his house. So they didn't need one there. Um, and that's why it took a little bit longer for tavern culture to develop on the Eastern Shore than it took in the rest of the country. Yeah. But the idea is that everyone goes to the tavern, they pick up their molasses and sugar and whatever, whatever their rock candy... But that, we've all seen. <laughs> Where are you in a what five they, and dime? Yeah, well, no, they, they do what, like, in Mr. Ingalls. What was the that? General, the general the store. General store right, right, exactly. Yeah. The, the dry goods stores. So of what was called. Oh, the mercantile. R- exactly. And that was, that was the, and I mean, if you see, like, Shane, you, no one's seen, you've seen no, Shane. I, I haven't seen Never. Shane. Who would see Shane? <laughs> Who has seen Shane? Anyway, okay, you're, the mercantile you're, was on you're, one you're re- side. You're relating your age. And the tavern was on the other side. The point is, it's all together. Yes, it was all it was all in the same. I mean, because it was all in the street. I mean, in, in northern Minnesota, it was the same thing. In northern Minnesota, they didn't have rich people living on the shore. Everyone was working class, and and the tavern and the brewery was the place where they all came together. Until, of course, the Finns moved in, and they were all temperance, and they wanted to right. But it was the same thing. It was either you were a beer, you were a guy who drank alcohol right. or a man, a man or a woman who drank alcohol and you went to the brewery and that was your sort of community meeting spot or you weren't and you went to the temperance hall but there wasn't anything in between it was one or the other right yeah. it was a place for people to, the point is that it's a place for people to meet yes. right and yeah. have fun yeah. so on the writing aspect of it how do you uh, 
with a subject is, and we've talked about this before. So beer is a huge subject. You have history, you have science, you have process, you have marketing and business, you have culture, you have different countries you have. And there's, how do you pick, um, what you're going to, I mean, cause you can't just write about beer because that would be like a billion page novel, right? So how right. do you, how did you go about saying, okay, I, you know, okay, I did the history of beer in Maryland. I'm going to do beer gardens here. But what is the, like, how do you narrow that down? What is your process for focusing? I always feel like we like stories and we like to fill in the gaps anyway. So I give you the three facts to live with and then tell stories that assume that you remember those three facts from the beginning. And as you start to incorporate the facts, you get the story, you get the facts. And so I I, I don't I don't assume... a a lot of knowledge about beer, but one of the things that I'm answering your question, but kind of in a, like a weird way, we we're always like, how did they, how were they like that, you know, in the old days? And they weren't like that. Like we aren't really radically different in the last 300 years where we don't, we don't really think differently. We, we interact differently. And that has to do with different, um, different things that we can and can't get away with if we want to, if we want to live in society. But we're not different people. So I'm like, okay, these people are the same as I am, but they have different motivations. So you, you, you kind of figure out like what, what are they motivated by and you make the people relatable. And if they're relatable, then people understand their motives. And if people understand their motives, then add it to those three facts that you start with, you, you can kind of draw out a picture because when, when, you read, when you read the books, hopefully you just get a sense of like, you know, my thesis is beer isn't about getting loaded. It's about people coming together and having a good time. And I think I support it pretty easily by saying, by telling stories about people getting together and having a good time. And then along there, along that, along that story, I'll pull out the occasional fact, like, this is what a hop does. I don't even know if I say that, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, there are four ingredients in beer. And then there were only 40, four ingredients in beer for a little while. And then when we got to America, you know, we had those four ingredients, but they were, it was harder to get the sugar, so we threw pumpkins in, and we threw cherries in, and you know, beer didn't really become standardized until the middle, early, early middle of the 20th century. So talking about that with characters, like, and fortunately, I got to talk to many of the characters. I didn't do a ton of historical, historical research. There's stuff that I knew that I could relate um, and s- certainly left over from the Maryland book. I, uh, I mean, again, I made this assumption that what was, what was true in, you know, in Delmar was, was true in Seaford, right? I mean, you're talking 15 or 20 miles. This is, this is one, this is kind of one beer culture. So use, using that information as the background was, was good for laying a baseline. But then you talk about the brewers and I speak to the brewers and doing these interviews, I get a sense of them. And I tell you the story of the, of the brewers in, and tell you the story of the brewers, and with the history in the background, you see how they got to where they are. You see how they fit into the story that's been going on the whole time. Hmm. Okay. I'll buy it. So <laughs> I remember there was this one time I was talking to you as you were. What? At bank. It was one time. One at time band, at bank camp. camp. So we, we were talking about writing process and you were approaching your dad like, yeah, I'm just going to write this and oh, boom yeah, and yeah, write yeah. this and boom. Is, does it really work like that? It really does. It, it, it really, really does. does. So the process, we, what Stephanie's talking about is that I, I, I for, especially for the books I write now, I, my, 
I, I'm, I'm proud of my books, but they're not literature. You know, they're not, I am not Studs Terkel, right? What I'm doing is I've got, a, I've got a story that I want to get told. And the best way to tell these stories is in chunks. So what I do is I choose a clever headline, just like in the newspaper business. I write a 700-word story, just like in the newspaper business, and then I choose another clever headline. And I put them in an order, and then the book is done. I mean, it's really that simple. It's just it's just an easy way for me, especially under pressure, because I, I usually wait till, they, I, till the deadline. I have hard deadlines, and I mean... You know, when you have a hard deadline, that doesn't mean you do the work in advance. It just means you get more stressed and angry. And do it at the last second. And do it at the last second. And so uh, for me, it was just about, you know, I'm walking around during the day. I'm just thinking up clever headlines. I know the facts. I know the stories. I know kind of how the book's going to go. And so the only question is, what are the, what are the clever headlines? And, and it's just like, I mean, I don't know. I, it can't be unique to me. Like once you have the first line, the rest of the story follows. Right? Oh, oh! I don't find that uh, the first line is always the hardest for me to come. Right, come right, up right. With. But yeah. the second line is easy. Oh, the second line is easy. Right. I, I start with the second line and go from there. Oh, but, oh, oh. but headlines <laughs> and titles are always really hard for me. So for you to be able to start with sort of a, a, a subheader and go from there. I mean, that's admirable. But I, that comes from your journalism background, I, I, I think, would think, because yeah. because you're used to writing in and thinking in. Like you said, like seven hundred word chunks, right? And it's easy in seven hundred. And in seven hundred words, I mean, I, you know, if you, as a writer, if you think about it, if you sit yourself down and get rid of distractions, you could bang out seven hundred words pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, yeah. If you, if you let the rest of the world go, you could actually do it. And if you know what you're talking about, yeah, and if you know what you're talking about, yes, which obviously you do, right? Which brings me to another point, and one of the things I heard you say in another interview was how when you write. It's almost like you're you're transcribing. You've thought so much about the story and about what you're going to say. It's, that putting it down is really nothing more than than actually just trying to transcribe a story that you've it, already got. Yeah, it really head. is. For for me, writing always has been kind of secondary. I will like I walk my dogs. I I sit in I sit in the steam room at the gym. I think about and I don't think about the words I'm not I like turns of phrases I'll I, we, we joke about this I'll I'll email myself a clever turn of phrase just so I have it in case I need it sometime in the future um, but mostly I just think about what am I what's what's the point right because because if you have the point the rest of it is just colors and smells and sounds right and so you pick a point if only all writing were that easy. It, it is all that easy, right? <laughs> it's just, what, what am I... All right, so what and why are the only two Ws you need. What am I trying to say and why am I trying to say it, right? And so I'm trying to say that people are a little freaked out by beer because they're thinking more about the alcohol t- content than the community. Why are they doing that? Well, all of these reasons. You know, they're historical reasons. Other people, better, smarter, cleverer people, already wrote down those reasons. I just have to read that. Right. And but why is it important and why is it important here? And that's where the thinking comes in. And you've got it. You've got to You talk to people, but then you just let it ferment. ferment. Yeah. Well, this is sorry. I couldn't you, get a different I word. I saw you were headed there. You were headed there. <laughs> I was just like, say it. Come on. It's ferment. a beer book. Say ferment. It's all right. Yeah, man. You know, hop to it, pal. As, as you were talking, a thought popped into my head. And that was that the reason that I write is to find the why. Ah. I don't have the why before I start to write. And I write in order to discover the why. And I think maybe maybe that's a difference between 
the type of fiction that I write and the type of journalism and nonfiction that you're yeah, well, I writing guess, in some way. And it's not, it's not, well, themes emerge. I, I don't have themes when I sit down. But as I'm writing, the themes will emerge and that'll, that'll kind of shape the narrative. Um, that's, but that's, the way I want to say it is that sometimes I'm like, oh, look. That all get t- got tied together. Isn't that isn't that clever? Yes, you know. I love like, when that happens. Yeah, it's oh, like it's oh, look, beautiful. It looks like I did that on purpose. <laughs> Any, anybody from the outside wouldn't wouldn't know that that does it. They're not connected, you know. And I give a lot of I, I I make fun of poetry a lot. It's like you know, it's like ah, I hate poetry. But that's the thing that's fascinating about poetry is that you you look at it and you're like, ah, huh, look at that. You know, those those things. There are more connections than I even meant, and they came out right. I, it just takes me. 40,000 words instead of 200 words to, to get to that. But, but when you get to it, there's a satisfaction, but you can kind of see it happening. You know, you, as, you, as the themes emerge, you're like, I see what's yeah. going to happen. And then it happens, and it's cool. Yeah. I think for yeah. me, sort of, so the, the what and the why, like what am I telling and why is it important? I think for me, there's also the how am I telling it. That is the thing that probably sticks for me the most, is how am I telling the story? What is my you know, word choice, what is my, my arc, what is my flow, how am I, because I don't take a very non, I don't take a very journalistic approach, I feel like you take a very traditional nonfiction approach to stuff, yeah. um, you are clearly a fiction writer, um, but I sort of kind of am like this, I feel like I sort of wander, but I'm sort of, I should have sat there, really, you know, <laughs> like, because I feel like, um, for me, as a creative nonfiction person, like, I really just want to tell a story, right? So, like, for me, the how am I telling my words, my phrases, even, like, the the way that I'm setting up a page even um, and ends up into it. So I think – but I think that's also the part that drives me the most crazy because I feel like that, for me, is the most important. I mean, we wouldn't pick a story if it wasn't important, right? The, no, we wouldn't pick a story if it wasn't compelling. Compelling, right. Okay, so we've already got that part yeah. done. I, I write – Ten unimportant stories. You wrote a Pokemon story. (laughs) I wrote a Pokemon story. I I would like to point out that was important because his car got hit. So that was an important story. (laughs) Oh, and we have a Pokemon here, actually. A young young fellow walked in here. Yeah, and he looked for it. Well, you have to if you're going to get Well, no, he had already found it. It was one of of Patty's kids. He walked in and and he was talking about Pokemon. I was like, hey, is there a Pokemon here? He's like, oh, yeah, it's right out the back door. And I was like... Okay. So, so sad. Yeah, That's it is. But you, but you wrote a Pokemon story. I did. I wrote a... Well, I, 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 don't, I don't like to get... All right, no. I do feel a little bit pretentious about this sometimes, and, and I, I try not to alienate people. But, you know, what, there are two things that you, that you know about as, 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 a, as a working writer, and one is that you're broke almost all the time. And the other one is that you have to write, and if you don't want to, too bad. And if the spirit doesn't move you, too bad. And if the muses aren't talking to you, too bad. And if you don't feel like it, too bad. And if you don't like the assignment, too bad. If you want to be a professional writer today, you know... You write. You write. You yeah. got to write. I mean, I mean, Jeff writes, and there's not even anybody like screaming at him, but it's like you have to do it. And you don't do it. It's like... I mean, this is probably a bad example. You're just going to have to trust me. It's like... You know, baseball players lifting weights in February. Like, I'm not working in February. Why am I lifting weights? Because you have to be ready for when you have to work. You have to keep 
the the writing muscle going that's so awful i'll promise not to say that again tomorrow you have to you but you have to keep the well we were talking about this a couple weeks ago on one of the podcasts we were talking about uh creativity and learning how to make pretend in your head and then translate it to the page right and it's just a matter of practice and just like when you learn to read, when kids get to college, I, I always say this to, to my own children because they're like, oh, I don't like to read. And I'm like, well, too bad. You know, because if you get, when, when you get to college, the difference between doing well and doing poorly is sitting down with something awful that you hate and drenching everything out of it so you can do the story. And if you do that, I was fortunate. I was a philosophy major. So I read a lot of things that, that were complex and that I wasn't nuts about and that I didn't agree with. Right. But, and, you get this you, – you must have done it in English, right? And all of a sudden you're like, well, you, you can think about it in two ways, right? Way number one is I hate this and I wish I was dead. And then way number two is I'm going to suck everything I can out of this because otherwise I don't get my check. I don't get, I don't get my grade. I don't get yeah. whatever. And so yeah. it becomes a habit. And if you become a habitual reader – You'll do well in college just yeah. for that reason. I can read yeah. garbage. I can read awesome stuff. I enjoy reading awesome stuff. But if you know, I have to read. What was the story about uh, Robert the Bruce or the Battle of Sterling or whatever? Oh, oh yeah, uh, the the uh, the epic poem. Oh, I forget the name of it. Yes. Right, but yeah, you know yeah, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It's awful. It's awful. Yes. Yeah, it's it's, yes. it's it's. But we have to read it, so you read it. You you. You, and then you learn to consume and you take what's useful from it. And I think sometimes people feel like they have to memorize. But if you take the useful stuff on an essay question, you can take the juice out of the useful stuff and get 700 words out of it. You can get 700 words out of anything. It's really just a matter of my wife. My wife gets upset because I read terrible literature a lot. Uh-huh. And I tell her it's because you can learn so much from bad stuff. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I can read I'm, good things all day long, but, but nobody ever reads the bad stuff, and you can learn a lot about what not to do by reading the bad stuff. Yeah, like, <laughs> like when I caught myself, when I, when I tri- tricked myself into that fermentation analogy yeah. before, I'm like, wow, how did I not see that coming? Yeah. Don't what ever like, do that. Wasn't it Stephen King that said if, you can't, if you're not reading, then you have no business writing? Yes. Yeah. So he was, he was like, the, the, it is, you know. They are, they are two components of the same enough. thing. You have to... Yeah. So are we coming into the station? Do I need to say? Yeah. Well, I was just about to make a joke to Stephanie. of like, let's see if we can talk until 1030 and see how long it takes for Jeff to say, okay, I get oh, no. it. This is how I'm it's going to go. It's been about 25 minutes. So, oh, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> I, right. I think it's time for us to pull into the station. And so now's the chance for you to get to talk about uh, how, how do we find you? How, about We like to talk about how writers are promoting themselves right, right. in well, addition to... I, like I have a podcast. It's called So What's Your Story? You can find that on <laughs> iTunes and Stitcher. Um, I, promote I haven't stuff heard on, of it. Yeah, no, I promote stuff on Twitter. <laughs> one, of the th- one of the reasons we're doing this tonight is that I had this brilliant idea that if, we start, if I started doing live beer talks, that people would come, and they didn't. I mean, I've told that story a thousand times, so I'm not going to tell it again. But <laughs> So if you do a live writer's talk, then people will come? Apparently. We, we already have. I think we're going to have a couple people. We won't writers, be talking to that table. Which, which, is more, which is more interesting, writing or beer? Well, beer is... Writing is more interesting. Uh, beer, Writing is more interesting with beer. Right, beer is beer well, is more us, diverse. That's because we're writers. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I gotta I gotta admit I'm more I'm a whiskey I'm a whiskey guy. That was you know yeah. whiskey shuts up the voices more quickly than beer ever oh, can. Well, yeah, that sounds like Ernest Hemingway. Fourteen words was fine. I'm like asked out by his computer. All right, so, don't so do that. Can, where, to, where can we find you on on Twitter? Oh, I'm sorry. Facebook so you can find and, me on Twitter. And, my my name backwards O S S U R Y N O T. 
Um, I mean, it's on Twitter. You can find me at on Facebook the same way. O S S U R Y N O T. I'm Tony Russo writer. Um, and, then, and you're gonna actually? Are we gonna do a podcast page for you, and we can have all these links up? And you yeah. can you can have that would rate. be cool. We'll do that. We'll, the, we'll make it so that we'll make it easy for people to find find you. Awesome. Very cool. Awesome. Absolutely. And if you want to find me, you can find me at masabiproject.com. My book's for sale right over there. Please buy. And Tony's a books are right Tony's there. Tony's book so is please. right over there. And if you buy one, Stephanie's you will. book is for sale right over there too. It's very good. Actually, are there any? You should no. read, but you don't have probably, a book. I probably go it's a good book. Bring some in. If you only had a As, printer someplace. Yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. As an aside, I really enjoyed your book. That's just an aside. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That was good. With that. I read it. I, I read it when I read it back before it was cool to have read it. Yeah, well, was, she gave me a copy, and I felt really guilty then. I was like, "Well, I have to take this into China, <laughs> I guess." Yeah, no, I'm I'm a, I'm a Stephanie Fowler hipster. <laughs> <laughs> He's vintage Stephanie Fowler. Yeah, wow. before she was cool. Yeah. Well, I wait. I got cool. When did that happen? It, it when, happens when you don't know it. Yeah. Oh right, right. You because it happened when it's we happening. got thirteen hundred people listening to me. Right now. Yeah. 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 All so right. You're talking to a microphone like this, Stephanie. And now this is the part where you thank the guest. All right, Tony. Well, thank you so much for being here on your podcast. <laughs> absolute, absolute <laughs> pleasure, as it is every week. So, what's your story? It was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. To hear more, visit www.saltwatermedia.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. And if you want other people to hear more, give us a great review there. Tell your story.